Welcome to another episode of Between Two Servers. Between Two Servers is the podcast that doesn't actually take place between two servers, but talks about everything that exists between two servers. In this episode of Between Two Servers, we'll be talking with Melanie Ewan, co-founder and managing partner of Volition. We'll be discussing Volition's story, gender roles within tech, the impact the pandemic has had on Volition, and the future of the company. Hi, everyone. I am uh, Sonia Kuro, director, uh, managing director at Converge and founder at Menyasano. And today we have Melanie Ewen, who is the managing partner and lead advisor at Volusion startup advisory firm. And we are going to be having a chat with her about what she does, uh, how she's helping uh, startup startups in the startup world. And it's just going to be like always a very candid conversation going back and forth. Hi, Melanie. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today, Sonia? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I know, um, just so a- anyone listening, um, Melanie and I met in 2019 at the Collision <sighs> Tech Conference here. In oh, Toronto. right. Yes. Yeah. And then again in Portugal, right? And then again at the Tech Summit <laughs> in Portugal. And I know we, we, we ran into each other in Portugal and we're like, we know each other, but we didn't remember how we knew each other. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then we realized, oh, yeah, it was from Collision. And we sort yeah. of hung out in Portugal, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. And so our team sort of connected us again. And um, I, I know that when we had originally met, you were doing some other stuff. You were living in Spain. Now you're living in Ireland. So let's have a good catch up and see yeah. what we're up to. Sounds First good. of all, uh, can you tell us a little bit about like Volition Advisors, what it is that you do, what's your purpose? Yeah, of course. Yes. So um, at Volition, what's interesting is actually, I'm going to preface by saying that the last year, as for many other companies, we've gone through our own pivots and um, we actually were going by Volition Advisors, but we're now just Volition. Uh, okay. We kind of moved away from the advisory element to an extent, or I should say that's not our main focus anymore. So where we were before was that we were really focused on B2C, working with startups, um, early to growth stage on kind of like any area from pitching presentation to sales, marketing, um, uh, customer success, HR, anything kind of along that early to growth stage kind of um, uh journey. And we have 10 different experts and teachers who have incredible expertise. They themselves are entrepreneurs and or have just worked with startups for many years. And we were doing kind of this one-on-one coaching. And that's what that was our approach from basically the beginning of um, or the, the origins of Volition in 2017. But over the last year, like with many other people um, and companies and founders and all the things out there, we realized um, quite quickly when COVID hit that the B2C model, particularly working with early stage startups, while it was always difficult, it just took a massive hit at that moment in time, mm. which is completely understandable. And at the time we were doing a lot, like in terms of our revenue, we were bringing, we were um, putting on events and we had just started to, to charge for those events. And again, that kind of took a nosedive and all of our sponsors fell off, fell off and all of these kinds of things. So um, I know I'm taking a really long-winded way to explain what we do no, today, but, <laughs> but what it's turned into is we spent that time uh, saying, you know what, let's step back. What we've always wanted to do is support entrepreneurs and to help build ecosystems, to help build connectivity, capacity, and knowledge within global startup ecosystems. What started out is let's build this, the Vancouver ecosystem, and then it turned into Canadian ecosystem. And then I moved to Europe, of course, as you mentioned, uh, back in 2018. And it kind of became this, like, it just became larger and larger and larger. And then with going 
virtual in March became global. Let's support these global ecosystems that we're connected to um, in many different ways. And so while it used to be that kind of one-on-one -on -one working with startups, it transitioned in 2020 to working with program partners um, or different part, trusted partners in different ecosystems around the world. So that's kind of what the transitions look like now. So we just still are really focused on um, building connectivity, capacity, and knowledge within global ecosystems, but it's through co-creating and delivering value with our trusted partners. So it looks like working with accelerators, looks like um, working with um, different kind of uh, uh, investor groups, people who um, have like memberships, like women's um, uh, like groups, groups uh, like I'm thinking about like FemBot, and I'm thinking about like um, uh, Canadian small business women um, kind of organizations that have lots of people in them. Uh, so we work with them to deliver uh, different kinds of programming in areas of our expertise, like again, in pitching or in um, in sales or marketing or customer success, whatever that is. Then we also work with their the entrepreneurs in their communities to do that one-on-one -on -one coaching still. And we still do our community events as well, but we've really reined those in and we kind of um, really tailored that to what people in our community told us they needed uh, post-COVID, but also kind of what entrepreneurs always need around visibility and networking and um, and feedback. So uh, that's who we are today. We still have our pillars around programs, coaching, and um, and community events, but it's just kind of the priorities have shifted between the three. Um, so that's what Volition is in a very long-winded way of saying it. Um, not succinct at all uh, at this point in time, but uh, we're collective of experts. Yeah. You kind of answered like three questions. Yeah. I tend to do that. Questions. It's fine. Okay. I can go yeah. on. <laughs> so, I mean, you're in this ecosystem to help uh, startups. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, women founders, yeah. some of the work you do around that space as well. What are some of the hardest parts of a startup that you think exists? Um, it's interesting because I know when I was originally thinking about this question, I was I was kind of applying it to what are the hard what was the hardest elements of starting my business, and I, I'm I'm interested to see if it's similar and I, I kind of have an inkling that is similar to many other people and what I'm seeing uh, and it kind of reflects in what I'm, I'm, I'm seeing when working with startups and founders. For me, um, I found that starting the business is not so much the hard part. It's kind of all of those moments that happen afterwards. Um, everything from figuring out and navigating your relationship and disagreements you might have with your co-founders and the other partners on your team. Um, it's everything from kind of, uh, yes, navigating a pandemic, but even just figuring out when to, uh, when to grow your team, when to step back as a founder, um, when like all of those kind of like growing pain elements. And I was thinking about um, my journey and that in the past year, I think there's been some like, there's been some really key, uh, key moments in time that have been really difficult. It's always been around, I would say it's always been around um, either relationships or or growing pains. And what I mean by that is kind of like, as I was just mentioning, 2020 was a little bit all over the place. Um, it was very, well, no, I shouldn't say that. It was very focused, but <laughs> it was a huge learning opportunity. And um, for us, we grew our team um, that really exposed a lot of gaps in our systems and processes. A lot of startups don't um, put the time into downloading everything from founder's brain on into like some sort of actual process, some sort of actual CRM, some sort of actual like thing that if 
that founder were to step away for whatever reason, someone on the team would actually be able to pick it up and move on with it. So we also um, fell into that trap as many, many do. And when we were having these growing pains of, um, oh, we need to start doing things more quickly. Like we actually have a lot of business coming in. Let's, uh, we need to get some, we need to get proposals out. We need to figure out our internal communication system. We need to onboard people. Um, we need to learn how to hire people in a different way. And um, all of those pieces, it's like we, we hadn't, uh, prepared for that in like the time frame that it kind of showed up for us. So for me, that was kind of a, uh, that's been one of the difficult elements. And it's also what I see with a lot of startups that we work with, um, both on the relationships front, especially if you have co-founders or if you're alone and are kind of feeling like, Hey, I, um, this is really hard and I am tired and I have, I, and like, I hear people saying, you know, I can do, these things. Like I am fantastic at building relationships. I am fantastic at um, sales, but I know nothing about money. I know nothing about marketing. I'm just trying to learn it all. And in those situations, kind of the opposite to having a co-founder and navigating that relationship in those situations, it's more navigating how, uh, how you see yourself within your business and realizing that you don't have to do it all and realizing that you, you can and really should find people who complement your strengths quite early. And yes, then you have to deal with the navigating of the relationships element of it, but it it's it's so incredibly important. And I ask, I do um, an IG live every week with founders and ask them what is one tip that you have other for other entrepreneurs um, mm-hmm. who might be starting today. And uh, like almost every single week, I hear people say, um, ask for help, figure out your um, strengths, find people to complement those strengths, but really just like ask for help and know when to ask for help and that it's okay to ask for help. So I know there are a lot of answers, but I think like there's the two elements of starting it alone and that being a thing. And then there's the starting it with people and that being a thing. And that's really interesting. And just about like figuring out how to communicate with each other, figuring out how to set expectations, really normal, like relationship stuff. People say that starting a company with people is like getting into a marriage and yeah, I could, I could see those similarities um, and then the growing pains element. So I think those are two the two pieces for me that it's like you start the company and then you start to realize all yeah. of the gaps um, as things start to kind of yeah. take off in different ways, I guess. I agree with you um, on that part, but I think it's, you know, easier said than done. I remember that, you know, when when I first uh, got into Menusano, it, it's a startup and, you know, I... I very early on lost a lot of the people who had been involved in the project from the get-go and sort of felt like a a one-woman show. And then I became so attached to Mm -hmm. the company, to the product, that it was really hard for me to trust anyone with it. But then I had a a life experience and I got, you know, breast cancer. And then I had no choice but, you know, start sort of figuring out how I was going to let go of those things and mm-hmm. how I could trust other people. And for me, it w- I had to do it the hard way, but I could see that being a really big challenge because mm-hmm. for, for like founders, that's your baby. Yeah. Right? You're well, pouring your heart and soul into this. Thing. Exactly. Yeah. And well, this is the thing, like I'm talking to founders who have been doing it for years and they're, they're talking about hindsight, right? They're like, if I, like, I wish I'd known this was something I could do, but it's something that, like you say, it is so difficult and I, I know my my business partner, Paul, who's incredible. He, it's been kind of like in the last year with 
the pandemic and with um, other things going on. And I've also had a health things going on and just like realizing that if we try to hold on to it at this point, um, we're doing a disservice to everything that we've built and to our team and to where this could go. And I think there's kind of like a, a moment that a lot of founders, not all founders, I, um, but a lot of founders realize that they need to find a way and it's going to look different for everyone, but find a way to offload some, some elements. And it's really quite wonderful when you start, it takes a long time, but it, it's really quite wonderful when you have an incredible team and you've been working with them and training them. And one day you can't be there and you're like, Hey, can you run this meeting? Can you take this project and start leading it? And then the things they produce, you're just like, wow, you're this, so right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're just like, well, that, that was extremely helpful. And now I can go do this other thing that's been on my list for a thousand years. So, <laughs> but it takes I, like, yeah. like you said, like, it's just like takes like, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just gonna say, I find myself now, like not even knowing half the stuff that my team is doing. Yeah, but <laughs> that's that's the oh, beautiful moment. <laughs> I know. I found out my team has meetings together. <laughs> and I'm like, I was like, what? Like that's well, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fantastic. So I think that's hard. Um, yeah, and I also would be curious about your experience and um, the other listeners here as well in terms of um, something that we found difficult was sticking to your vision and. Um, I don't mean like not adapting, I definitely adapting, but sticking to kind of your values and, and knowing why you wanted to do something in the beginning. And then you kind of all these people giving all of their different opinions along the way and along the years, and you kind of go off in different directions. And for us, it was people in the beginning being like, you, it's not sustainable to work with early stage startups. And we were like, that's what we really want to do. We really wanted to help those early stage people. Like they're not getting the help they need in, in various ways and different ecosystems. And like really want to support them, bring education, bring um, these networking opportunities. And everyone's like, you can't make money. You're going to fail within two years. And we're like, nope, there's got to be a way. And it was brutal. And like they, they would have been right if we hadn't kept going. <laughs> right? Yeah. Which, I mean, everyone can say that, I guess. <laughs> if I just stopped, they would have been right. But um, we just kind of like found creative ways to keep to keep going um, and trying new things and just being like, there has to be a way here. There has yeah. to be a way forward here. And honestly, it wasn't until 2020 and, and starting to work with partners and starting to work with different kinds of groups that are funded by, are funded by much larger entities um, that made that that we had that kind of aha moment of like, this is yeah. the direction. This is how we help so many more people, but still be sustainable in our, and can see an actual like um, yeah. path forward and growth trajectory. And, but it's like sticking to your values and sticking when, you know, when you have those moments that you're like, maybe they're right. Like maybe, yeah. maybe this isn't going to work. And I've tried it to do it 10 different ways and it's still not working. And, and we've had those moments of like, okay, six months from now, if like we haven't hit these metrics, we're going to have to, we're going to have to call it. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the biggest challenges for me, now that you're talking about this, I was just thinking about it as you were saying it. And I think like at the very early stages of, of Menusano, I was involved with, um, you know, very intelligent business people who ran large companies, not a startup. And so when we, we sort of set out on that journey, mm -hmm. um, they were very fixed on, you know, having this run like a large corporation. Right. And so we sort of started out that way and failed every step of the way because, yeah. you know, there are 
I learned once they sort of left that, you know, running a startup is very different than running, you know, an mm -hmm. existing business, a, mm -hmm. a large corporation, you know, we, we were like down here and they were like way up here. So when, once they, everyone sort of stepped away, I had to restructure the yeah. whole thing. I even had to join like a, an accelerator for female founders, although mm. I knew how to run business, but a startup was just so different. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that was a really important lesson learned for me because if I hadn't stepped back and realized that that was going to be a major problem, I don't think we would have been able to become yeah. a global company that we are now and achieve all the success that we have because yeah. we were trying to run it as if it was already an existing, um, you know, successful company and it wasn't. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have to go through all those kind of growing pains along the way and shift things. And I mean, that's why they say like, you know, founders are, are very adaptable. And that's like one of the hallmarks of a great um, entrepreneur is to, to have that adaptability and to listen, to go back to your values. Of course, like, listen, I mean, I think it's extremely important and not people, not enough people listen to their customers and actually do real market research to understand how yeah. they need to shift and change, but, and, but like still sticking to why you started this to begin with and what, what you want it to look like um, in terms of like your non-negotiables of what you want this to look like and feel like, and, and like what you want your life to be like within this startup. Um, especially for like, for us being service-based and, um, it, it's, we had to kind of design our startup around also our lives and what this, how it need to, how we need to fit into it and how it need to fit into our, um, our, our ever-changing environments, like myself being work, work uh, I've been working remotely, 100% remote since 2018. Uh, but even before that, just who I am as a person is I like to work remotely most of the time and then yeah. kind of in-person part-time. So even just like navigating how, how you work as a, as a person and then fitting that into your startup <laughs> or yeah. making them work together. I don't know. That's, yeah, it's, no, it's very right interesting. You sort of set the culture for your startup. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Based on your own beliefs and your own work ethic, right? Mm -hmm. And everyone mm -hmm. sort of follows your example because you're you're leading by example, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So um, I do have another question. I know you previously worked uh, with a woman's founder accelerator in Albania, mm. and you did a talk on the impact of gender in pitching. Mm -hmm. You also did a similar talk for women in tech at the Van, Van Hack Con, uh, mm -hmm. where you talked about uh, your research in this area, as well as what women in tech can do to combat barriers at, at an individual and systemic level. So my mm -hmm. question is, <laughs> can you talk to us a little bit about that? Why is gender such a hot topic in, you know, I, I'm, I'm from the tech world, so I'm, I'm mm -hmm. Why is this such a hot topic in, in the technology world specifically? Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's just a tiny question. Um, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because I've been working in this space and working at, uh, with Women in Tech World, which is a Canadian nonprofit. Uh, we work to advance women in tech through our community-based research and programming. So I'm lead research and facilitator there. So I've been doing research in this space, uh, specific, specifically gender equity um, for, women in for women in tech. Um, since 2017 and um it's a hot topic because it's not getting better and what we're seeing is that there are um it's, it's kind of interesting so so we're seeing that women are in certain areas are going into 
um, academics, they're going into academia for STEM um, at higher and higher rates in some of the different areas in STEM for computer science, that rate's actually going down drastically. So that's a really concerning kind of element where, you know, 30 years ago, uh, there were actually more women going into computer science degrees than there are today. So we're seeing kind of that um, going in the direction we wouldn't want it to go in so much. Um, other areas of science, the proportion of um, women to men in the academic uh, or like in universities is, uh, there is parity there. But what we're seeing is that when women are getting into their the tech industry and they're going into, whether they're going into um, uh, government or academia or the private sector um, to big tech companies, small tech companies, startups, whatever it has to be, happens to be, we're seeing uh, this kind of massive rate of women who are entering and then falling off. And in our research, what we saw was that there's kind of these different stages of women, uh, women in tech, there's different stages with, with the, along the kind of like career life cycle being in a, a woman in tech. So there's kind of, I'm interested in, uh, I, there's the kind of, I'm interested in tech. I'm going to go into this at the university level. There's the, I've graduated. I'm um, still interested in it. I'm going to get into the industry. I'm kind of early in my career. Then there's middle management kind of level. Um, and we start seeing a lot of people dropping off just before within this kind of area and not getting to that kind of leadership level. And what that means is that we then see um, tech products. We see, I mean, you keep hearing about like the, the bias that's in AI systems. We keep seeing um, algorithms that are biased, you know, all these different, I'm, I'm not a technologist myself, so I don't have really good language to use around this, but <laughs> being a community-based researcher, I'm more about uh, working with people. But the point being that the, the impact that we're seeing is both from like, um, kind of the two things in my mind, which is the product side of it, that we're not seeing women being represented um, in, in products that are being developed um, in some, a lot of technology that is really imp impacting our lives today and will impact them a lot in the future where we see a lot of bias coming up um, in, in everything from like facial recognition software to like, I was just reading about how um, uh, airbags and cars were only designed for men um, body types up until quite recently. So no, I know. So it's actually killing, actually killing women. Um, and then there's that. So uh, there's a lot of things. Um, really interesting book actually is Data Feminism. Um, fascinating. But it also means that women, um, like we're not being represented in data. We're not being represented in research. This means that there's not a lot of information about women's health, um, reproductive rights. There's uh, our reproductive health, I should say. Um, Hmm. and rights there's just not there's not a lot of information on um uh uh, uh what am i trying to say on um like death rates during labor and and okay. um not really understanding you know what's what's happening for women um and then what there's also the element of like when we're not seeing women be a part of these conversations and be at the table to make these decisions obviously it's impacting this consumer but also women themselves are then not being able to participate in the economy at the same in the same way so like i've been having conversations um lately around women in inventorship and around patenting and how like the rate of women who are getting patents is like ridiculously low relative to men like 10 percent of patents are in canada are held by women um and that means like a patent means can, that you have the ability to to control that technology that you can sell it that you can mm. um license it that you can you can control it and so if we're seeing that like 90% of patents are held by men in Canada, then that means that 
all of those patents are that men have the power over all those those um, patents and the uh, the kind of like financial power that comes with that. So that's a lot of different elements that I just threw out. Um, obviously, yeah. I don't have a, a nice succinct answer again for that, but um, it's really complicated. And I know I'm missing a lot of nuance here and yeah. a lot of pieces. But why it's important to people is because there's kind of like there's the like it's impacting women on an individual basis element where we're talking to women being community-based research. We talked to 1600 women and we hear constantly um, these conversations on how they're impacted through discrimination and through bias and through microaggressions and through um, like sexist remarks at work and all of these things on like a daily basis. Um, and then there's the systemic issues and what it's, what it's, how it's setting us up and how it's setting up, future generations of women. So the future for them is still going to be built by predominantly um, white men. Right. Um, the technology, like, and technology makes all of our decisions now. And, or, well, not all of them now, but it's getting there. <laughs> it's it's yeah. a lot of our decisions, whether we know it or not, are being, is being controlled by technology. And it's being developed predominantly by these men. And, um, it's very interesting um, and horrifying. I like, I have my science scientist brain is like, this is fascinating. And then I have like my feminist brain, which is like, this is horrific. So right. um, that's why it's important to me, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was, you know, I was reading the other day that, you know, it, it, it's been proven that uh, a company that has a woman on the board or in the boardroom or that's involved at like a management level, yeah. Um, companies fa fairly do better than companies that are 100% male uh, dominated. So, mm -hmm. you know, as a, as a woman, uh, I would also think the same thing that that's like, that's just common sense, right? Mm -hmm. You, you want to have, you know, especially if you're, if you're a business, like, do you not want to sell to women? Like women, there's a, there's a lot Huge of buying power. power right? like, yeah. The purchase power is insane. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Purchase power. And then like, what you, you, you know, like men are going to sell to us who, who knows us better than us. Right. It's, this is the thing, like why, why it's important and why like I get tongue tied about it is because it just seems so obvious to me. It's just like, why, why would this not be important? Like, I don't understand why we're having this conversation still not today on this podcast, but in general, like I, I ran a, a panel, I think it was like two years ago and it was just, um, what was it called? I think it was called women in business. Why are we still, or, or like why we shouldn't have to still make the business case for women. Um, right. something, something to that effect where I was just like, I don't, I these four incredible, powerful women on stage and all of us were just irritated that we were still being asked to make this business case for why women should be, um, getting the same amount of investment dollars should be getting, um, the seat at the, the actual table, the decision makers table, um, should be on panels, should, should have visibility, um, should be getting those leadership roles and, um, and have that kind of, um, uh, um, say, say, yeah, um, exactly. Have that kind of say in what's, you know, everything that's being developed in our world. It's, um, it's baffling. There's so many reasons because there's like a moral, the moral reasons, and then there's a the business case reasons. And, um, and then it just gets like really intense into the systemic and like long-term generational reasons. And I'm a very like, I've always been uh, driven by kind of generational change in my mind. Like I, I don't necessarily um, 
I don't, I don't need to, to see, I would love to see a, a really drastic change in our lifetimes, but for me, I, I really want to see that kind of generational change. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel like a little bit, you know, millennials, not Gen X, you know, Gen X is sort of like old school. I, I'm Gen X, but, you know, I think uh, millennials and the younger um, generations, they do have a, a different, you know, mm-hmm. mindset. Um, mm-hmm. They're not as old school as, uh, and I think eventually, you know, as our generation sort of dies out, some of those things are going to change, but I almost feel like we should do a social experiment and have like a bunch of women dress up in man suits and go and pitch and see how different that would be. Right? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because uh, what they found in the kind of investor room when you walk in and you hear about how women are getting invested in and, and there's lots of different reasons why. So what they found is that... Um, or oh, female stereotyped behaviors, uh, that's what's being uh, discriminated against. So if a, so a, um, a man or a non-binary person um, could walk in and if they have feminine behavior, um, then they're gonna, I don't know if it's the same, like they're gonna have the same kind of um, or be discriminated against in the same kind of way or have the same kind of bias placed against them. But what they found is that it was too more of a sense. So if a woman ha- is more, uh, has more masculine behavior, they're going to be treated slightly better than a woman with more um, like feminine stereotyped behavior. So it is really interesting. I'd be curious if anyone's done an experiment like what you're talking about right now. I like, I wouldn't, I would almost think people would have, but um, yeah. So it's more about feminine stereotyped behaviors. And then we see, the kind of uh, the impact of that being the kinds of questions that that people with feminine stereotype behavior are being asked is around um, how are you not going to lose rather than how are you going to win? So in the talks you were talking about that I did recently, I always kind of like, it's interesting that a lot of people ask me these questions around um, gender and pitching and how do I deal with bias when I'm walking into those rooms? Um, I'm like, well, the thing is you shouldn't have to, you shouldn't have to change. This shouldn't be your problem. So there's the whole systemic thing, but let's just like shelve that for a moment. I'll continue working on that. You don't have to worry about that today unless you want to. And I get that like, that's a longer term play. So let's talk about the reality of the situation. So know that when you walk into that room, that that bias does exist. Um, and that there are things that you can do to kind of counteract it. Um, you shouldn't have to, again, that's my little caveat, but, um, one thing is when they ask you something like, um, how are you, uh, how are you not going to lose? Or like, how are you not going to, um, uh, how are you not going to make sure, how are you, how are you going to make sure you don't, um, you, you, that, that, that like hockey stick graph that you have in front of us is not going to like dip down all of a sudden. So a man, they would have, or someone with, with male presenting characters or whatever it happens to be, um, they would be like, oh, that's a hockey stick growth. How are you going to make that get bigger? For the woman, be like, how are you going to not make it drop off at the end? Like, this seems unrealistic. How are you going to make that not fall? So to answer that question, as if they've asked you the growth question and be like, well, we're going to make it grow by da 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 da. So instead of like getting defensive, it's when we get on that kind of defensive of like, oh no, we're not going to like, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll deal with this in this way. And this is how I'll like make sure that we don't drop off. Or if we drop off, that's how I'll deal with it. So it's not even like, and if we drop off, this is how I'll deal with it. It's just like, nope, that's not going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And I, we also see like a lot of women walk in, coming in with kind of like what, they'll have like a realistic scenario. Of this is where we could get to. And they'll be like, I should probably present the like um, slightly less than realistic because then people, will, it'll be more believable. But the men are going in with the like, 
like well beyond realistic kind of numbers. So they're already kind of like setting themselves up for that kind of, um, that kind of issue of like already being on the defensive of like, um, well, we think we could do this, but you know what, let's just like rein it in a bit and we'll talk about smaller numbers to begin with. So it's like, it's a matter of going in with like a little bit more, these are our numbers and this is where it's going to get to. And this is how we're going to do that. And having that plan, plan in place, knowing your numbers, talk, if you don't know your numbers, talk to someone like an advisor who can actually help you really understand them because as a woman going in, you do have to be a little bit more prepared to yeah. um, answer those kinds of questions in that way. Yeah. So, so, you know, how do we, I mean, I know that there's a, a huge thing in, in the community about how women don't actually support one another as much as we mm. should. I know that's, that's sort of a, a big problem, but, you know, now that we're aware of, of the issue and there's all these communities trying to uh, make awareness, change the, the, the pay gap and all those things, mm. what can we sort of, maybe, maybe we're not going to do it for ourselves, but what can we do for the next generation so that this can, you know, just end once and for all. Well, I know. No, I feel like if I knew the answer to that, <laughs> I'd be a billionaire. No. Um, so like, is it through teach? Like I'm a big believer that I, I think all of these things should start at like an elementary school level. Oh yeah. Flow into high school. Like, is that where we need to start or do we start with, you know, once they, they go into the, the workforce, it's just like, you know, in, in school, we didn't learn how to manage personal finances. We oh, I know. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> you know, like I'm almost, I'm almost feeling like the education system that we live in, in the entire world is, is so behind and they're not taking into account mm -hmm. all of the um, yeah. impacts so, in our lives. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So when we first did our research tour, that was the number one answer that we got. Um, and we developed our action plan around that. Like one of the big things we knew, need to do to support the next generation is to work on our education system. But that's really big and complicated. And education systems are all um, organized in different ways and different level, levels of government have different kinds of input. And it's just like this beast. So yes, that doesn't mean we don't go after that. It's a multi-pronged approach. So it can't be just going in after education. And the other thing is, even when we think about education, um, we're still seeing bias in terms of who's getting funding for what kinds of programs. So um, for instance, again, with this like women in inventorship kind of conversation I've been having recently, there's some thought that if we, um, or some people actually in Canada who are developing programs to go into uh, woman-led uh, labs within universities to teach them entrepreneurial skill building so that they are thinking like business people and therefore are more likely to get patents. That's kind of the potent, that's what they're thinking that that might happen. This is how we can help more women get patents is by bringing entrepreneurial thinking into the lab. So this was brought in front of an, or, uh, an organizing committee that would be able to fund that, that program. It was all white men. And they said, we don't see the value in that. Oh, wow. And then you see a man come in with a similar proposal um, to go like fund some sort of um, really great and incredible program for um, for girls or whatever or, or women or whatever whatever happens to be and it gets funded. So not always obvi obviously, but that was like a very specific example where that actually did happen in that in that order. And so that's very frustrating, obviously. And so when I think about how we're going to actually make this happen, so yes, it would be great if the education systems changed, but how do we actually make that happen? 
Um, we do need to have a lot more people on board. Um, we need, I'm working on a men as allies program right now, okay. which like, there's a lot of, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, there's a lot to unpack there, but um, it has been really interesting and eye-opening to see just even kind of like when we're, when we are trying to do things that we think are going to help, they'll kind of like unintended consequences that they are having such as, so I'll give it an example. You're going to see a lot of people these days are going to say how we're going to help women attack, how we're going to help um, women in the workplace, whatever it happens to be, whoever you're trying to help. Mm -hmm. is by through mentorship programs. So everyone's building mentorship programs right now. It's actually mentorship month in Canada right now, January. Um, so everyone's talking about mentorship programs, but there has been research done uh, to show that most of these mentorship programs are not actually helping. And there's, there's research to show that a woman who's getting mentored two years on, you're not seeing any correlation between mentorship and promotion. And then you look at a man who's been mentored two years on, there's a direct correlation. So started looking into why. And one of the big problems is because, well, there's a lot of reasons why, I guess, but one of the big problems is that typically um, women and particularly women of color uh, are not gaining access to mentors that are in a, a position of power and privilege. Wow. And the mentorship programs that are being developed are not uh, keeping mentors accountable. And it's not kind of like an outcomes-based program that's more focused on sponsor, what we think of as sponsorship. So mentorship for women typically ends up being like, oh, you um, need confidence building. You need leadership skills. Let's talk about that. I'll be here. I'll be your guide. I'll tell you about my experiences. I'll help you along the way, mm -hmm. which is nice, but it's not creating any kind of systemic change whatsoever. And what they're seeing and research being done on mentorship programs that have sponsorship embedded in it is that when you embed sponsorship in that element of like, not just am I going to talk about my experiences and help you and guide you, but I'm also going to actively um, put your name forward for promotions, put your name forward for um, uh, projects where you're going to build the skills that you need to build to get to whatever your next milestones and achievement um, is going to be. And I'm going to I'm going to um, make sure you're in those rooms. I'm going to speak up for you. So this is the thing is that like, we're starting to get research. We're starting to understand the things that actually help. And I think if you're asking like, what is one thing we can all do like today to kind of start making a change for the next generation, that would be to start um, investing our social capital in women and, um, that would be to start looking for sponsors and building sponsorship programs and looking at our mentorship programs we have in-house and kind of bringing in that like accountability and sponsorship kind of angle, look at who is being matched with who um, mm -hmm. and why, and why are women of color not being matched with people in these positions of power and privilege and, and why, why are men more likely to be organically mentored? I mean, that's because there's typically more men who are in the senior levels and they're more likely to relate to other men. That's just how our human bodies and brains work. And therefore they're more likely to kind of organically mentor them and women aren't getting that. So to me, it's kind of like raising awareness and uh, around kind of um, like understanding why we're not getting to where we want to get to and why this is so frustrating um, and doing more, doing more research into these kinds of um, projects that are trying to, trying to do things in different ways. Mm -hmm. 
and then and then also and also try to get into those school systems but you're gonna need to have allies is the thing we're gonna yeah. need to have or people who act as allies so this is an interesting little element i've been learning over the last few months is that ally to be an ally is um or an, an ally you're uh, what am i trying to say that um an ally is not a label it's a a uh, ally is a verb and it's something that you can act as but that you, but you are not that thing i don't know um point being that you act as an ally and we need people who can, can act as allies for uh for women um and when we're going into those rooms and saying let's bring this entrepreneurship program into these women-led labs that we have someone there who ideally actually ideally in the room you're going to have a representative panel in front of you but if you don't have that having someone that is going to be in the room alongside with you to advocate for what you're doing. And it's very frustrating that we need that at this mm -hmm. point in time. But to me, like there's certain things we need to do to, to kind of um, that are like slightly unpalatable to have to, to, to get us to a point where we're going to start seeing um, a, a real investment in, um, in gender equity initiatives. Yeah. And so we're not there yet, but no. We're not, we're not even close, but I mean, no. we can, all we can do is sort of support each other and um, try to help each other navigate through this crazy, crazy world that we're mm. in. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. We're 45 minutes in, I don't want to drag this on, um, but you know, I do want to, uh, if you could just share, you know, how someone can get a hold of you, you're going to be in Canada soon. So do you want to just sort of, sort of share your information so people can reach out to you if they want to? Yeah, of course. Yes. So um, you can email me directly at Melanie at volitionadvisors.com. And volition is like um, to have your own volition. So it's that, that word. Um, so uh, Melanie at volitionadvisors.com. Um, I'm very active on Instagram and you think I'd know my handle. Um, I believe it's Melanie okay. underscore you in. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Yes. So I'm very active on Instagram. Um, so DM me there. I'm always there. And then of course, LinkedIn, Melanie Ewan, and it's U-N-E-W-A-N. And I believe I'm the only one. So you should be able to find me there. So LinkedIn, Instagram, and then my direct email is the best way to get a hold of me. Awesome. Well, thank you for the lovely chat. I'm sure we'll we'll do this again when you're in Canada. Let's catch up. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> we'll run into each other at these uh, events uh, uh, again. But it was yeah. uh, so nice to have you, and I wish you uh, best of luck in Ireland. And uh, we'll see you when you're back in Canada. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's great. Thanks. Okay, thanks. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to Between Two Servers. You can find us over on Instagram. YouTube and Facebook. The links are in the description of this podcast. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to Between Two Servers and we'll catch you next time.